Welcome to Grace and Glory Audio, featuring Pastor P.G. Matthew, Bible teacher and pastor of Grace Valley Christian Center, located in Davis, California. Today, Pastor Matthew will continue on in the Bible series from the book of Isaiah with part one of this message entitled, Israel's Messiah, the Hope of the World. If you have your Bible with you, please turn to Isaiah chapter 11. Now, here's our teacher, Pastor P.G. Matthew. Let us pray, Heavenly Father, we pray this morning to deliver us from looking at ourselves, being focused on our own particular concerns. Help us, O Lord, to look up, to see the Lord, high and lifted up. The infinite personal God. Help us to see the holiness of God. The majesty and power of our God. That we may receive comfort from such a vision. That this God is our God. This God is for us. He will help us. He will deliver us. He will fight our battles. He will save us. He will cause our hearts to be filled with unspeakable joy. He will dwell with us. He will fill us with the Holy Spirit. He will give us understanding of his will. And his will is always good for us. So God... Help us to see you as your word is declared and proclaimed. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Isaiah 11. Israel's Messiah. The hope of the world. I want to speak two things about Israel's Messiah this morning. The person of the Messiah. And secondly, the powers of the Messiah. And we will continue speaking from this chapter also next Sunday, if it is the will of God. When Isaiah prophesied, the superpower of that time in the 8th century was Assyria. She had not realized that she was a club in the Lord's hand. Assyria became very arrogant and mocked the God of Israel, the true God. But Israel's God is the Lord of history and he pronounced utter destruction of the superpower Assyria. And we read this in chapter 10, the last two verses. See the Lord, the Lord Almighty. See, there is a repetition. The Lord, the Lord Almighty, which means there is emphasis on the Lord. Will lop off the bows with the great power. The lofty trees will be felled, the tall ones will be brought low, speaking about Assyrian powers. He will cut down the forest, forest thickets with an axe. Lebanon will fall before the mighty one. And it happened, complete destruction of Assyria took place in 609 B.C. But what about Judah and Israel? Will God completely destroy Judah and Israel and completely destroy the Davidic dynasty which God himself raised up? Will God be unfaithful to his own promise? And the answer is given in chapter 11. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. 
You know what happened in 586 BC. The tree of the Davidic dynasty was completely cut. What remained was a stump. And here the prophecy that something is going to come out of the stump. Assyria, Egypt, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome will be completely destroyed, but not so God's people. There is a stump. Turn with me to God's promise written in in the book of Second Samuel, chapter 7. And just one verse, verse 16. This is God speaking to David. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. So, 586 came. The temple is destroyed. No more David the king ruling. What's going to happen? Will God be unfaithful to that promise which he gave to David? That the Davidic kingdom will remain forever and there will be a king who will sit on the throne of David, whose kingdom will be forever. No, God cannot lie and he keeps his promise. So notice the prophecy Isaiah is seeing. The coming of the Messiah. Isaiah is seeing what angel Gabriel would speak to a teenager, Mary. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. So first I want to speak to you about the person of the Messiah. Messiah means anointed one, Mashiach. In the Old Testament, prophet, priest, and king were anointed. As a symbol of the Holy Spirit endowment, so that prophet, priest, and king can do their respective work effectively. But all the prophets and priests and kings pointed to the one king of kings, the prophet and the priest, the Messiah. So here he is addressed as the branch. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. Now we spoke about this branch metaphor before. This branch points to the Messiah. We read about this in chapter 4, verse 2. In Jeremiah 23 and verse 5. Jeremiah 33, verse 15. Zechariah 3 and verse 8. In chapter 6 and verse 12. This is the shoot, the branch. It is not Hezekiah. It is not Zerubbabel. It is Jesus Christ himself. He is David's greater son. And when you look at chapter 7 verse 14. He is the virgin born child. Emmanuel. Which means he is God with us. He is more than David's greater son. He is certainly a descendant of David. But he is virgin born. He is the man, but he is also God. He is God with us. He is David's Lord, but he is also David's son. In other words, this Messiah is God and man, two natures, one person. You ask the question, who is Muhammad? Well, I'll tell you who Muhammad is. He is a man. I'll tell you who Muhammad is. He is a sinner because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. 
He is called a prophet of Allah, not our God. But this Messiah is his creator, his sustainer, his king, his Lord. Mohammedans will never acknowledge that Jesus is God-man. But he is God and he is man. And there is a day coming when all will acknowledge him. In chapter 9, verse 6 and 7, we are told who this one is. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Then all of a sudden the language changes. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor. And then Mighty God. He is a child, he is a son, but he is Mighty God. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And he always brings peace through conquest, never through negotiation. And then he is the great king of the increase of his government and peace. There is no end. He is God. And he is a child. He is a son. And then... Chapter 11, verse 10, he is called the root of Jesse. Not only shoot and branch from the stump of Jesse, but he is also the root of Jesse. What does that mean? It means he is the one who gave existence to Jesse. And he is the author of Davidic dynasty. Speaking again about his, that he is God. But he is also a shoot of Jesse. That means he is man. God and man. But more than that, we are given a view of this Messiah in chapter 42 and 53. He is called my servant. Yes, he is God. He is perfect man. He is the great king. But he is also a servant of God. The servant par excellence. The servant who always obeyed his Lord. He is called the suffering servant, Isaiah 53. Jacob spoke of him, and let's turn to Genesis 49. Before his death. He prophesied. This is what Jacob said as he prophesied concerning his son Judah. Genesis 49, verse 8 through 10. Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down to you. You are a lion's cub, O Judah. You return from the prey, my son, like a lion, he crouches and lies down, like a lioness who dares to rouse him. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet. In other words, Jacob sees Judah, the tribe of Judah, the king coming out of the tribe of Judah. Judah is going to rule, someone in Judah is going to rule until, notice it says, he comes to whom it belongs or until Shiloh comes. Shiloh means the sent one. Judah is going to rule until somebody comes, until he comes to whom it belongs. In other words, Kingship, rulership, universal rulership belongs to him who is to come. And the obedience of the nations is his. That's why Muhammad and everybody else must obey him. Obedience of the nations belongs to this one who will come out of Judah. Turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 21. Now here is Ezekiel, and he sees the same thing, Ezekiel chapter 21, 
And let me read from verse 5 through 27. O profane and wicked prince of Israel. See, they all became wicked. That's why they were cut down. O profane and wicked prince of Israel, whose day has come, whose time of punishment has reached its climax. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Take off the turban, remove the crown. It will not be as it was. And that happened with Zedekiah. The lowly will be exalted and the exalted will be brought low. A ruin, a ruin. See, the prophet is seeing a thorough ruin of Judah. I will make it a ruin. It will not be restored now until he comes to whom it rightfully belongs. The crown, the kingship, the rulership rightfully belongs to him until he comes to whom it rightfully belongs to him I will give it. And of course it is harking back to Jacob's prophecy until he comes to whom belongs the obedience of the nations. So that is what this Messiah is. Turn with me to Luke chapter 1. This is what Isaiah was seeing. Beginning with verse 30, the angel Gabriel speaking to Mary. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You'll be with child and give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great. And will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. In other words, 600 years went by. The tree cut down, the stump remains. God is faithful to his promise. And he sends his son. To whom the crown belongs. To whom the obedience of the nations belong. He is the king. And so it says. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Let's turn to Romans chapter 1. Where St. Paul is speaking about the person of Jesus Christ. And that he is God and he is man. Romans 1 and verse, verse 3. Regarding his son. Notice capital S. Regarding his son. Who as to his human nature was descended of David. And who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God. In other words he is God. And he is man. Two natures in one person. As our creed confesses. Or let's go on to Genesis chapter 3. Here is an ancient prophecy. Which encapsulates the gospel. Called Proto-Evangelion. Chapter 3 of Genesis. Verse 15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman. And between your offspring and hers. In other words it speaks about the seed of the woman. Which as we study. Is the seed of Abraham, and which St. Paul identifies in Galatians 3.16 as Jesus Christ, through whom all the peoples of the world are blessed. So that we are talking about the person of this branch, this Messiah. Let's look at chapter 11, verse 1. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will what? Bear fruit. Every descendant of Jesse 
was a failure. Every man failed in bearing fruit. But finally, there comes a man who is going to bear fruit. You read chapter 5 of this prophecy speaking about a vine that did not bear fruit. Speaking about the people of God who failed God. Refused to obey God. But now there is some hope. There is a shoot coming out of the stump. The lowly condition of Judah. But look, he is bearing fruit. Isaiah 53 says, the will of God will prosper in his hand. He is the last Adam, he is the second Adam, who obeyed God perfectly. That's the fruit. A fruit which brought us food and strength and salvation. Jesus Christ is the Savior. Who is this shoot? Who is this branch? Let me tell you. He is the seed of the woman. He is the son of Abraham, son of David. He is the mighty God. He is the prince of peace. Who establishes peace universally by conquest. He is the Messiah. Whom all must obey. So that's the person. Let's look at the powers given to this person to do his job as prophet, priest, and king. As Messiah, he will be endowed with all gifts necessary to conquer, to rule, and reign. What is this endowment? Look at verse 2. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. There is going to come an antichrist. And he will also be equipped and endowed. And it will be evil spirit upon him. But the Messiah, the true Messiah, is endowed. He has powers by which he rules. And it is the Spirit of God. Came upon him without measure, we are told, and dwelt permanently. It's not coming and going in the case of Messiah. Even David, remember, was anointed by Samuel. And the Holy Spirit came upon him. Even so, upon David's greater son, The Spirit of God will rest without measure and permanently. This Holy Spirit, Spirit of the Lord, will give the human Messiah all abilities and powers he needs to rule and reign. Let's turn to Isaiah 42 and take a look at that statement. Here is my servant whom I uphold. The same Messiah. My chosen one in whom I delight. Why does he delight in him? Because he is the servant. He obeys God perfectly. And God delights. This is my beloved son in whom I delight. And notice now, I will put my spirit on him. That's the powers. All gifts, all abilities that the Messiah needs come from the Holy Spirit and he will bring justice to the nations. He will rule and he will reign. And of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Or turn with me to Isaiah 61. Here again, we are told of his equipment, his endowment, his powers, his skills. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me. He is the Messiah. Anointed by the spirit of God to preach 
good news to the poor, and so on. Or we go on to Luke chapter 3, verse 22, and you see the fulfillment in the New Testament. Luke chapter 3 and verse 22. While all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too, and as he was praying, and he was praying for the Holy Ghost, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. Chapter 4 verse 18. He understands the Holy Spirit has come upon him and he reads Isaiah 61, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. Then he said, today this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. Here I am, in other words. The one to whom belongs obedience of the world, the King of kings, Lord of lords, Spirit anointed King of Israel is in your midst. And so, he is going to be given all necessary gifts. Turn uh, to chapter 11. First is spirit of wisdom. That doesn't mean spirit is wise. Spirit is wise. Spirit of wisdom here means spirit who gives wisdom to the human Messiah. Spirit of wisdom. We have to have wisdom. It is an administrative skill. Without wisdom, you are a fool. You cannot govern justly. It is a necessary gift. Turn to chapter 10. And let me read to you the false claim of the Assyrian king. Chapter 10, verse 13. By the strength of my hand I have done this, but and by my wisdom, and by my wisdom because I have understanding. He claims that he is self-sufficient. Uh, Assyrian king is doing all these things by his own wisdom and understanding. Nebuchadnezzar said so also later on. All human kings said so. But here... There is a king who receives wisdom from the Holy Spirit. If you can go home and look at 1 Kings chapter 3, the story of Solomon who God appeared to him and he could ask for anything. What did he ask for? I'm just a child and I have to govern. I need one thing. What is it? Wisdom. Please give me wisdom. And God gave him wisdom. What is wisdom? Mother, father, administrators, corporate people, you need wisdom. Wisdom is the ability to make right decision. The right to make God-pleasing decision. That's what wisdom is. Concerning Jesus Christ, we are told in Luke 2 and verse 52, who he grew up in wisdom. The Holy Spirit gave him wisdom. Necessary to be the King of kings and Lord of lords in his human capacity. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7, we are told that the Holy Spirit, one of the gifts of the Spirit is what? A word of wisdom. He gives you a word of wisdom. And in James chapter 1 verse 5 we read, If any of you lacks wisdom, you are in big trouble. If you lack wisdom, you are in big trouble. You will make what? Wrong decisions. And it will have serious consequences. If any one of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. And for the Messiah, wisdom comes in abundance from the Holy Spirit. Not only that, he is also is given understanding. 
Holy Spirit is spirit of understanding. What is understanding? It is a deep intellectual insight into persons and situations. It is the power to see the heart of the issue. That's why we are told he doesn't judge based on what he hears and what he sees. Messiah sees through it. God is not impressed by the outward. Samuel was impressed by the outward. But God told him, God looks at the heart. Gives understanding into the heart of the matter. Also, it is the spirit of counsel. In other words, Holy Spirit was giving counsel to whom? To the Messiah. We are not told that Jesus ever asked a human beings for advice. But he was given counsel by the Holy Spirit. Turn with me to chapter 50 of Isaiah. Here is a description of how he received counsel. Beginning with verse 4, the sovereign Lord has given me an instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me morning by morning, wakens my ear to listen like one being taught. The sovereign Lord has opened my ears. I have not been rebellious. In other words, it is speaking about the life of Jesus. The coming Messiah. How he was given counsel and instruction by the Lord morning by morning. And we read about how Jesus got up very early in the morning. And going into a solitary place praying. Communing with God and the Holy Spirit gives him counsel. We are told he is the wonderful counselor. He is the one who enables him to have a plan and a strategy to accomplish God's messianic task. He knew what to do, when to do, and how to do. And all coming to him through the Holy Spirit. Not only that, he is He is given power, Holy Spirit of counsel and power. Holy Spirit gave him power to put into practice his plan, his counsel. A lot of people have plans, but they don't have what it takes to implement it, to execute it. But the Holy Spirit gave him executive power to make it happen. He is called in Isaiah 9, mighty God. We read in Luke 24, verse 19, Jesus Christ was mighty in deed and in word. He is mighty to save. And he is also, you will find out, and the world will find out, mighty to judge. Powerful. And not only that, The Holy Spirit gives him knowledge, which is knowledge of the Lord, according to the Hebrew text. Spirit of the Lord, spirit of wisdom, spirit of understanding, spirit of counsel, spirit of power. Now, spirit of the knowledge of the Lord. The human Messiah was given knowledge of the Lord. All true Knowledge, listen to me. All true knowledge is knowledge of the Lord. And so if you do not know the Lord, you are a fool. And you are filled with foolishness, pretending to be knowing. This knowledge is not merely intellectual knowledge, theoretical knowledge. This knowledge is not just knowledge about the Lord, which you can study from a systematic theology book. You see, knowledge in the Bible is rational, but more than that, it is relational. A husband and wife, they know. 
Because they are related. Relationally they know. This is the idea. The knowledge of the Lord is knowledge that comes to us in terms of our relationship with God. Turn with me to chapter Isaiah chapter 1. There is a great complaint of the Lord. Chapter 1 verse 3. The ox knows his master relationally. You see, this has nothing to do with intellectual. Relationally. You know, my cat speaks to me every day. It's amazing. It recognizes me and all that. It has various uh, linguistic <laughs> ways of getting, uh, you know, it comes and uh, scratches uh, at the door at the wrong time. <laughs> and uh, this uh, old man gets up and takes care of. Uh, relational knowledge. Notice then. The ox knows his master, the donkey, his man, owner's manger. But what Israel does not know, my people do not understand. So this is not some theoretical knowledge. It is knowledge of communion and relationship. Proverbs 1 verse 7 says, fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. You see, let me tell you one thing. You know nothing. Until you come to fear God and surrender to God and submit to God with your mind, with your heart, with your soul, with your spirit. Until then you know nothing. You know nothing. No knowledge of God is going to come to anyone without delightful submission to him. Psalm 14 verse 4 says this. Evil doers have no knowledge. He's the fool who says there is no God. Evil doers have no knowledge. According to biblical definition. 1 Samuel 2 and verse 12 says, Eli's sons were wicked. They did not know the Lord. But this one knows the Lord. He is given knowledge of the Lord. Let me read to you from Matthew 11, where Jesus Christ makes this point. Matthew 11, verse 27. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Knowledge of the Lord. Jesus said in John 17, this is eternal life, that they may know thee the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. The knowledge of God coming to us through Jesus Christ. That's what knowledge. Not that you have a degree and you have cards all printed up with degree. You want to be called doctor and you pretend that you know something. You don't know anything. The world is full of fools who have degrees. John chapter 2 and verse 24 and 25, this profound statement is made by Jesus himself. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all men. He did not need man's testimony about man, for he knew what was in a man. What a knowledge this is. He knew all men. And not only that. He knew what was in a man. That's the inside. That's the knowledge. This knowledge is relational knowledge. We can say it is love for God. Knowledge of God is love of God. It is love for God with all our heart, mind, soul and strength. He who loves God in that way knows God. And number six, a fear of the Lord is not only wisdom and counsel and understanding and power and so on. The Messiah will be given another piece of skill. What is it? Fear of the Lord. Oh, this is very important for you. Very important. It's a strange idea. 
he is characterized by fear of the Lord, which Holy Spirit would give it to him. Well, people think Holy Spirit means jump up and down and speak in tongues and, and do crazy things and, and live an immoral life. An autonomous life. No, 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 no. It is the final qualification is what? He will give him what? Fear of the Lord. Fear. This fear is the effect of one's realization of God's holiness. You see, when you know God, as infinite, personal, holy, majestic God, you shrink and become less than nothing and tremble before God. And all arrogance will evaporate. This fear is the effect of one's realization of God's holiness. It is reverential submission to all God's will. Through this fear, one responds to God in awe, in trust, in total obedience, and total adoration of his person. That's the fear of the Lord. Edward J. Young, Westminster professor, says, This fear of the Lord is the heart and core of true religion. It is the heart and core of Christianity. And where there is no fear of the Lord, there is no Holy Ghost. There is no salvation. There is nothing. And so, we are told in John 8 and verse 29, The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Now, let me tell you, that's the fear of the Lord. That submission to God's will. I always do what pleases him. You see the spirit of the fear of the Lord was resting upon him. And he always did what pleases him. Even to the death of the cross. And turn to Hebrews 5 and verse 7. Here the Hebrew writer speaks about Jesus Christ. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions, now listen, with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his fear. Because of his fear, fear of the Lord, because of his reverent submission to God. Let me tell you something, the fear of God. Is a moral concern you have always. Genesis 20 verse 11. Go home and read. Where there is fear of God. There is a moral concern. To do the will of God. Number two. Where there is fear of God. This fear of God motivates you. To obey God. Moses tells his people. God has come in this manner. That you tremble. He came in this manner. That the fear of God may be with you. And keep you from sinning. When we fear God. It motivates us. For total obedience. Number three. Nehemiah 5. 9 and 15. You go home and read it. The fear of God molds right conduct. Where there is fear of God. We do what is right. Psalm 2 verse 11, fear of God inspires true loyalty. And Psalm 5 verse 7, fear of God inspires true adoration of this great God. And not only that, we are told in chapter 11 of Isaiah, he will delight in the fear of the Lord. It's a strange Declaration of the character of the Messiah. He will be given fear of the Lord and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He is not, it is not stated he will delight in wisdom or knowledge or understanding or counsel or power. But he does say he will delight in one thing. What is it? The fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord is not drudgery. It is not misery. 
Fear of the Lord is not even duty. Fear of the Lord is delight. Which means pure pleasure for the Messiah. The word delight translates a Hebrew word which means to smell something with pleasure. Speaking about total satisfaction. In other words, in the Hebrew text, we are told that the total delight and satisfaction of the Messiah rests upon this one thing called what? Fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord. You know, the other day I, I went home and I know you like to hear stories and be, you don't get a chance to get stories here. And I noticed a large rose flower. It attracted me. I went to to this rose. Well, it was producing roses for years. I don't pay much attention to it. But this time I went. See, I'm a connoisseur of roses. Not roses that is grown in this country or in Europe. Because it doesn't smell. But when I was growing up, we had roses that had sweet perfume. So I went and I smelled. There's perfume. And I was ecstatic. And I cut it. And I asked people to come and smell it. And then I put it in water and kept it for a while. Pure pleasure. That's the word that is used. Here then we are told that Isaiah's, Israel's Messiah, the shoot from the stump of Jesse, is a person who receives his total joy, delight, and pleasure, and satisfaction from what? Come on now. Fear of the Lord. Which is awe, and trust, and obedience, and worship of his God. This is how we judge the work of the Holy Spirit in personal life and in church life. Do individuals delight in the fear of the Lord? Do individuals therefore have a moral concern? Are they motivated to obey God? Do they deny themselves and take up the cross and follow the Messiah who delighted in the fear of the Lord? And so always did what was pleasing to him. I received a communication recently from a member of our church who now lives in another city. He was attending a church there. Now he attends a different church. He left the first church. It's a charismatic church. And it says that it has some reformed background. He left this church because... People and leaders are morally disorderly. And yet it claims to be what? Charismatic. The Holy Ghost is every place. They claim to be led by the Holy Ghost. They claim to believe in doctrines of grace. Yet they live a morally confused life. Did you hear that song? What a wonderful Change has been wrought in my life since Jesus came into my heart. That was written in 1914. Today, nobody is interested in any change to be wrought in our heart. We will resist it with all our hearts. Any kind of change brought about in our life. You just demand some mental assent to Jesus. That's all. He never demands any moral change. But that's not the biblical truth. To live an autonomous life, to live a morally disordered life is to declare the reality of our utter spiritual bankruptcy. Holiness is the evidence of a spirit-filled life. For the Holy Spirit is Holy Spirit. Spirit of truth and spirit of holiness. Spirit of the fear of the Lord. Jesus said, my food, my food, notice the pleasure, my food is to do the will of God and to finish it. My food. Jesus said, I delight to do your will, oh my God. Your law is within my heart.
There is no way to live a Christian life without fear of the Lord. It's a lot of joke. Autonomous man has created thick walls of 15 or 30 feet in width. And he very carefully guards his autonomy. He doesn't want anybody to come and tell him what God wants you to do. And he claims he's a Christian. May God pour out his spirit, especially the spirit of the fear of the Lord. Because the Messiah came not only to save, but he's coming to destroy every autonomous structure, every dominion and every authority and every power that is opposed to his government. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Heavenly Father, we pray that you deliver us from a foolish Christianity. Spirit of God, fall afresh upon us. Make wonderful change in our heart. Lord Jesus, rule and reign in our lives. Help us, O Lord, to hear and do your will, that we may find our total pleasure in the doing of your will. Your son obeyed you, and he obeyed even to the death of the cross. He brought you fruit. Help us to bring you fruit, more fruit, and much fruit, that we may shine in this world as light of the world. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to Grace and Glory Audio, presenting this message from the Bible series on the book of Isaiah. Come back soon for more Bible teaching from Pastor P.G. Matthews.